So thank you guys for being here today. Today we get to continue mm, kind of a long interrupted series that we're doing throughout the entire year going through all of our core values as a church. So um, our church was only, uh, oh geez, six years old basically, around six or seven years old. Uh, Actually September this year will be the mark of six years of services, which is pretty cool. Uh, Fourth of July weekend will be seven years, which is just crazy to think about. Uh, Time flies. But when we very first uh, started looking at the idea of planting a church, we asked God to give us kind of the information and the knowledge and the skills necessary to plant the right church. Because when we went to plant Acts Church, we didn't just want to plant another church. We wanted to plant a church that reached other people that other churches weren't reaching. So as we did that, we kind of asked God and, and sought after him and said, would you, would you show us the church to be? And that's where we got our 13 core values. We prayed and sought God and said, what do you want us to be like? And our core values, the things that we hold dear, these things don't change. They're, they're who we are. They're kind of like our DNA. And the reason why it's so important is we believe that God gave us this DNA to reach specific people in this area. We believe the reason why a lot of you are here is because of this DNA that God gave us. So we want to make sure that we know it, we understand it, and we live by it. We don't forget this stuff because this is who God asked us to be. These are the things that we think are most important. So when I was in high school and going into uh, college years, um, I had a very good friend named Ethan. And Ethan and I, uh, we spent a lot of time doing ministry together, doing other activities together as well. We both got into rock climbing, all different things like that. But it's kind of interesting because Ethan and I are kind of like, we were especially in high school, we were, we were like kind of opposites. I was like the, uh, the kind of jock, um, the very, very, like I love all those masculine things like shooting guns, blowing stuff up, you know, driving fast cars, like all that stuff. And Ethan was the very artistic one. He was kind of the other end of the spectrum as far as that. So in a lot of things, it would seem like we wouldn't really line up on. Um, but we were best of friends. And the reason why was because we agreed on one thing, and that was Jesus. We agreed about who Jesus was, and we spent a significant amount of time challenging each other, having these long conversations, and encouraging each other towards what it looks like to live a life devoted to Jesus, what it looks like to be a follower of him. And it's kind of interesting because, obviously, I'm the lead pastor of this church, a church plant from about uh, seven years ago. Ethan is actually leading a church plant in Sandusky, Ohio right now. They're about a year or so old. So kind of crazy how all that works out, right? We were like, that's miraculous, right? What God does. But when I was in high school and then going into that college age, I was blessed by people like Ethan and by a number of other people, most of which are the people who, who ended up leaving with me to come plant X Church. They were people who, who really did believe that Jesus was, was real, really did believe that we were supposed to chase after visions that he had for our lives. And if I'm honest, I heard hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of great messages and, and read lots of great Bible studies in those high school and college years. But if I'm to be completely honest, I think probably more influential to my faith at that time than any of those messages I heard or any of those Bible studies were those people who I did life with. It was those people who I had these, these conversations with where we'd have maybe a Bible study or something and we would read something and we'd do something, but then what would happen is after the Bible study was over, 
we'd sit outside for another two or three hours and talk about what that actually meant. And some of those times were some of the, the ones that I remember just completely changing me and encouraging my faith in so much. The people who were around me at that time influenced my faith to, to a drastic degree. Now, depending on where, where you are at in your faith, your experience might be similar or might not. You might be kind of at the beginning of your faith. But this reality is true in a multitude of different areas. Most likely, the person you are, the things you like, the activities you do, some of the things you believe have been formed because of the people you have surrounded yourself with in your life. Now, some of those things you might not have chose, right? It was family, and they were there. But a lot of your opinions are formed out of stuff like that. Some of the friends you picked might have helped direct some of what you started to enjoy, some of what you started to like. Like I said, activities or things like that. In fact, this goes even down to the really, really big things. Most likely, your politics and even your faith have been severely influenced by the people you have surrounded yourself with in your life. The reality is, the people in your life are one of the biggest influences on your life. Now that sounds like, duh, of course, but people don't think about that. The people in your life are one of the biggest influences on your life. They're the reason why your life heads in a certain direction. And we believe that this is true, not only in that, but like I said, in in the faith dimension, and really throughout all of our lives, and we think that it's a reality that was kind of there and almost supposed to be there, like set in place since the beginning of time. So we think that we have to obviously understand this and do something with it. So for us as Acts Church, this is what it means for us. We believe that these relationships, these, these people, are the most important thing. This is how we put it. Our core value that I want to talk to you about today is that Acts Church is people, not programs. Acts Church is people, not programs. Here's how we say it. We invest our time and energy into people instead of elaborate ministry programs. Our goal is for you to participate in Acts, but also have time to be an example of Jesus to people in the real world. Church is supposed to be about people. It's supposed to be about these relationships. But the reality is, in our culture right now, that is completely messed up. For most of us, our interpretation, when I say those words, is not the same. If we look back at the New Testament, this is kind of interesting. In the New Testament, we look at the word church that's found in most translations roughly somewhere around 100 times in the New Testament, okay? That word is always representing a a Greek word called ekklesia. Now, what's interesting about that word is that word does not mean a place. It doesn't even mean a meeting. It means a group of Christians, It means a community of Christians, people meeting together who believe in Jesus. Now the problem is, is in our society and in our culture, it's changed so much. And that term church, it is a whole different connotation. I can prove it to you. This afternoon or this evening, if you ran into somebody and they were asking you about your day, they would most likely say, what did you do this morning? And you would say, I went to church. But you can't go to church. Church is not a building. Church is not a meeting. Church is not an organization. The original word says that church is a group of believers. Friends, you are the church. You can't go to church any more than you can go to parent. 
Did anybody go to parent today? No, you are a parent, right? You can't just, you don't go to parent. You, you are a parent. Your mom or dad, it's who you are. You can't go to family. You are family. It's who you are. We kind of get this twisted and messed up because of our culture so much where we think that we participate in church. Friends, we are the church. Church is people. So when we get this right, it kind of changes our entire thought process about, about what this means. You'll even notice if you take the time to look, as you leave, our sign that sits on the outside of this building says, Acts Church meets here. This isn't Acts Church. It says Acts Church meets here because it's us. Someday if we go to another building, we'll take that with us someday. If God blesses us and we actually build our own facility specifically purposed towards what we do, that still won't be Acts Church. Acts Church will meet in that venue because Acts Church is people. That's what the church is. Jesus showed us when he was here on earth that people are the most important thing. That's why we think that that Acts is supposed to be about people and not programs. Think about this with me. Let's take a quick look at Jesus' life. Like I said, anything that we have that's like a core value, a thought, it all comes from Jesus. That's where we get everything, okay? So we see this in Jesus' life. Think about this, okay? Jesus begins his ministry at about age 30. Begins his ministry and begins to take off. Now, think about this real quick, because this is just kind of a side note, but, but seriously, right? Jesus only did public ministry for about three years. And we are still talking about him 2,000 years later. I mean, does that not just shock you? It's not just the fact that some guy lived. He literally only got three years to talk to people. Three years to do ministry. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. Most of you will try to use your entire life, your entire life, 60, 80, 100 years to try to be remembered and will be forgotten within two generations. I'm not trying to be mean. Do you remember your great-great-grandfather's name? Maybe. Do you remember anything about them? Rarely. Two or three generations, you'll be completely forgotten from this earth. Yet 2,000 years later, we're talking about a man who had little more than three years on this earth. There's something different about this guy, Jesus, isn't there? There's something drastically different. But Jesus starts this this three-year ministry journey that he's going to do. And we see it in all the Gospels where there's a few key things. He gets baptized. He ends up going out into the wilderness. And he has this testing period where he fasts and gets close to the Holy Spirit. He goes to the the, uh, temple and he ends up kind of revealing himself as the Lord. But right after that, I mean, before anything else of these three years begins, the very first thing Jesus does is pick a team. Before Jesus gets a building, before Jesus plans the trips, before Jesus begins to really go out there and and heal people, the first thing Jesus does is pick a group of people to walk with him in it. Why? Because Jesus really did understand that people are the most important. The right people make the difference. Even the right journey with the wrong people isn't going to turn out correct. Look at the way Proverbs says it. This is a wise word you guys need to listen to. Proverbs 13.20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. That's some of your life verses, isn't it? That second half especially. You lived that for years, didn't you? Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Associating with fools and getting in trouble. Friends, listen to me. Before you decide where you're going in life, 
Decide who you're going with. Think about that. Before you decide where you're going in life, decide who you're going with because that's even more important. Jesus understood this. Before we even start out on this, on this missionary journey, before we even go to preach to these areas, the first thing I need to do is pick a team. The right people to walk with me because people are most important. Jesus continued as he went through these three years and he made time for people. This is amazing because Jesus literally preached to tens of thousands at a time. This is a time where Jesus fed 5,000 people, and you just read that and think 5,000. But actually, scholars say 5,000 men is what the text says, which most likely means it was 10 or 15,000 people. That is a mega church that Jesus was already preaching to. I mean, amazing. But Jesus took time to still meet with individuals. He was preaching to tens of thousands of people, yet he still took time to sit down and get to know people and heal people individually. How do we know this? I mean, Jesus couldn't do it with everybody, but he did it with some. We know that because it says that Lazarus and his family were great friends of Jesus, that he knew them, he knew them closely. They were, they were real friends that when Lazarus died, even though Jesus was going to bring him back from the dead, he was kind of overcome by emotion. It even says Jesus wept, and I kind of almost believe that's just that connection he had with Lazarus, right? And, and someday Lazarus would die, but Jesus did bring him back. But we also see this great story that takes place as Jesus walks into Jericho. And I think it's it's so telling of the fact of Jesus preaching to tens of thousands, yet having time to meet with one. There's a story of this man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was vertically challenged, like myself. (laughs) Vertically challenged. Maxed out at 5'7", and I haven't grown an inch since. But Zacchaeus couldn't see over the crowd. You know, technically speaking, I probably would have been tall at Zacchaeus' time, just for reference. People got taller. Y'all got taller. You're the freaks. I'm the normal one who stayed at 5'7". I'm the normal size. Um, But Zacchaeus was even shorter. And he couldn't see over people's shoulders, but he wanted to see Jesus. So he got into a tree to be able to spot Jesus. And listen what happens in Luke 19, 5 through 9. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said... Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He is gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Jesus preached to tens of thousands, but he had time to meet with one. He took time to to go with Zacchaeus because he saw that Zacchaeus was interested, right? We saw Zacchaeus was searching after Jesus, and when he spotted him, he says, I need to come and have dinner with you. And when he did, and he had that, that intimate dinner with him where he just sat down and talked to him, Zacchaeus realized who Jesus was, and he, it says salvation came to him that day, that he understood it. We need to have time to be able to meet with individuals. Now, I understand that we have gotten busier and busier and busier as a culture. You know, years passed, as technology was increasing, they literally said, soon with all the increase in technology, people will only have to work 15, 20 hours a week because everything else will be automated. Yeah, that didn't happen. 
Technology came and it made us run faster. Technology came and it made us be more attached to our jobs. And in fact, now Americans work more hours than ever. In fact, last year, most people didn't even take all of the days allotted to them for vacation or sick pay. Anybody else? That was me. Did anyone else not take all their days? Because you're too busy. I got to do this. I got work to do, right? Man, we just keep moving from one thing to, to another to another. Now listen, Jesus had three years to start a movement that had to carry his name around the world. That is a big task. Jesus did not have time to waste, yet Jesus took time to sit down with one person and have dinner. Friends, if you're too busy to have friends, then you're too busy. If you're too busy to have friends, I don't don't have time to have friends, I don't have time to have dinner with somebody, I don't have time to, to make friends, I don't have time for that, then you're too busy. You're doing something wrong with your life because Jesus, who had the most important task possible, far more important than any of our tasks, even mine as the pastor of this church, he had time to sit down and have a friend, to make an acquaintance and to lead them to himself. If we don't have time for friends, then then we need to change something. There's something wrong with our schedule. Jesus, as he continued through his life, came towards the end of it, he revealed this last point that I want to show you, is that Jesus, he believed in people. Not just that he had the value of people, but, but he really, really believed in people. Not in programs, not in a system, not in an organization, but in people. Perhaps one of the most telling things about Jesus' life as we, we look at it in regards to how much he believed that people were important was the disproportionate amount of time he spent with 12 men. Jesus preached to tens of thousands of people. He had all of these followers, yet Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of time with only 12 guys. Hung out with them, he ate with them, traveled with them. Oftentimes he would literally walk away from crowds of people to go and sit down and just have dinner with these 12 and talk with them. Think about it this way. Jesus had to make sure that he was remembered, had to make sure that the movement continued. And listen to me, when you talk about people and not programs, Jesus never wrote a book, yet he inspired men who did. Jesus never planted a church, yet he inspired men who did. Jesus never went on a real missionary journey. He traveled around a very small circle, yet he inspired men who took the gospel to the edges of the earth. Jesus showed us that the most important thing he could put his time and energy into was people. It wasn't a system. It wasn't a program. It was other men who are following after him. Listen to it like this. I think this is a really, really telling last picture that shows us for sure what did Jesus really believe in? What did he really think was going to take this forward? It's in John 13, 1 through 5. And I'm going to read you this quick passage, and I want you to just see kind of one big detail with this. It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He knew that the next day he would be killed. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. 
Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Now, don't worry about the details of the fact that they decided to wash their feet or any of that. This is what I want you to catch. Jesus knew that these were the last hours he had on earth. It says he knew this was it. He was going back to God. Tomorrow his life would be demanded of him. But instead of going out in those last hours and preaching to tens of thousands with the last few precious hours he had, he sat down with 11 men he wanted to invest in. Jesus reveals to us what really is most important, what he really believed in, and what he truly thought was going to change the world. It wasn't some sort of system. It wasn't some sort of organization. Not preaching loudly to tens of thousands. It was inspiring 11 men. Friends, for many of us in our life, we will never, ever get the opportunity to preach to tens of thousands. Maybe one of us will. Maybe me, maybe one of you guys. Something might happen that someday you get the opportunity, the great pleasure of of preaching God's word to tens of thousands of people. But all of us have the opportunity to make 12 friends. Jesus thought that making 12 friends was going to influence more of the world than preaching to tens of thousands. Very, very often, we think that if if our life is going to account for something, it's going to stack up for something for Jesus, we're going to need a microphone and we're going to need to shout to a stadium full of people. But in fact, you might accomplish more on this earth by inspiring 11. Jesus believed that was true. That's how Jesus changed the world. Yeah, he preached them, but when it came down to it and he only had a few moments left, where he put his energies were these 11 men who I was going to leave my ministry in their hands. So what does this mean for Acts Church? What does this mean for for us as a group of people? What does this mean for for us and how we participate in, in our faith? Well, it means since we're people, not programs, It means that our focus is never just on systems or never just on an organization or never on a process. For us, how we look at us as a group of people is how you are doing individually. It means that we're interested in seeing each of you become what God wants you to be. That's why we have what we call our growth track, where people can take easy next steps. That's why we have all of the opportunities we have, where it's not just a few people doing ministry and everyone else watching, where we encourage everyone to be part of it, because we believe that the point of our church is to see you become who God wants you to be. Not simply to have bigger services or or more awesome events in the community, but no, it's about people, not about the programs. It's the reason why we do subgroups the way we do subgroups. You've heard me talk about them a million times, and I'm going to keep talking about them because some of you still aren't in them. Subgroups are our small group structure, and it's why we do subgroups the way we do. Friends, for us, our small groups, our subgroups that we have that meet throughout the week, the point is not just simply for you to learn more about God. I mean, that's a great endeavor. That's, that's terrific. The idea that you could know more about the Bible, know more about God, that will certainly happen in those subgroups. But if I'm completely honest, when we take a step back and we talk about what the wins of subgroups are for us, we don't measure the wins by, by how much you learn more about God, God's Word. We believe subgroups are there for you to find your best friends. 
We do subgroups because we believe that people and not programs are the most influential piece of our faith. That the people who you share your life with, that you walk your faith with, are going to be the people who either encourage or discourage your faith, who draw you closer or push you away. And when we say we need you to be part of a subgroup, it's because we want you to find your best friends. We want you to find people who you could walk through the rest of your life with. I'm so, so, so sick and tired of in church culture where people will take and not check in to being part of a church and then something bad will happen. They'll come run in and try to microwave all these relationships in the church to say, now someone help me, now someone take care of me. You say, where were you for the last two years? We've been meeting, creating friendships, creating relationships where we take care of each other and help each other. It never had to come to this. We do subgroups because we are meant to be in community. It's about people. You need to have friends who are walking with you in your faith. If you don't, you are far more likely to fail. Far more likely. No matter how good the messages are on the weekend, no matter how good the worship is, no matter how great the things we do in the community are. If you don't have friends who are walking with you in your faith, you are up against, man, I mean, a great challenge. The reason why we do subgroups is for everybody to get what we call a high five. That's our goal here. We say everyone needs a high five. And what that means is, is human interaction, H-I, with five people. Human interaction with at least five people. We believe you need at least five people in your life that you can share your life with. And what does this look like? It looks like three people who are walking the journey with you. Three companions, three people who are walking along with you. Jesus had this. Did you know that? Jesus had thousands he preached to, 12 who followed him, and he had three that he actually shared his heart with. Three that he actually took when he went alone to pray. Three people who he shared his life with. You need three companions. Three people who are walking in faith with you. These are not pre-Christian people. I'm not judging those friends that you have and saying you shouldn't be friends with them, but you need three friends that are walking through the same faith as you are to encourage you. People who you can trust when you say, is this the right decision, that they are seeking after God and not just giving you platitudes or just wisdom from the world. Three companions, you need one person who can invest in you. And it's not me. I'm sorry. I'm ready to pastor you. I'm ready to speak to you. I'm ready to pray with you. I'll talk with you, all that. But I'm not the person. There's somebody else who's in a group who is a little farther along in their faith than you. That's the person you need to look to. Somebody who you look at and say they've walked through more. They could be an older person. They could be the same age as you or younger, but they've walked through more. And you walk with them and you, you, you glean truth from them. This might not be a relationship where you're always talking to them consistently, but it's someone who you can call and they say, yeah, I've been there. Let me pray for you. Yeah, I know what you're doing. Man, let me pray over, pray over you. Let me encourage you through this because I've been through this and I know that you can make it. You need one person to invest in you. And last, you need one person to invest in. You need one person who's maybe a little earlier in their faith than you are and you need to be the person who encourages them. The goal is not to make them like you. The goal is to make them like Jesus. But you need to be the encouragement to say, keep running. Keep striving. I'll keep praying for you. I'll keep believing in you. You call me if you need a hand. I'll keep pushing you forward and saying, go after Jesus. Trust him. Believe in him. And you get to be that person who invests in them. Everybody, everybody, everybody needs a high five. You need to be part of the group. 
For us as a church, when we say we're people, not programs, this is why we say no to a lot. This is why we say no to a lot. Because we don't just want a billion programs. Every year, there are thousands of good ideas brought to my attention or brought to our leadership's attention. And we don't do them. Because we need to focus on what's most important. There are tons and tons of good ideas, but our goal is to not have a million things running where you're taken in a hundred different directions. Because we're people, not programs, that's the reason why we do not have a midweek service. That's the reason why we do not have Sunday school before services. Because we want you to be able to focus in on the things that are most important. We want you to go be a part of a subgroup where you can make friends. For us, it means keeping it simple because we want you to participate in this, but we also want you to still have enough time to sit down and have dinner with Zacchaeus. The goal is not for you to be at church every single day of your life. The goal is for you to be salt and light in your community. The goal is for you to have time for your kids to be in softball or for you to be part of something in your organization or to be part of something else and be a light in that environment. Friends, the best tool the church has to spread the gospel is us. It's not an activity we do in the community. It's not inviting people to some big service here. The best tool we have is you being a light in your community, in your job, consistently showing what it looks like to live a life of faith. The majority of people who've come to our church, you know why they come? Because somebody invited them. Because somebody said, you need to be here. I'm telling you, it's changing my life. And soon, after a period of time, they realize, your life really is changing. How? And you get to lead these people to a place where they meet Jesus. For us, when we say we want you to be part of Acts Church, we want you to be part of this community, we keep it extremely simple. We want you to join a subgroup. We want you to join a team. And we want you to serve your community. That's it. Love God, love everyone. That's it. Join a subgroup, find those friends. Join a team. Don't just come here and watch on the weekends, but participate in it. Come once a month and help out. Come set up, help run things, and realize that you're part of this community that's reaching the surrounding environment. And serve your community. We have things like Hope Week. We have things that we do in the community. Or you might just serve your community in another way. We have our our help partners that we, we join up with. You might just do something. I was a volunteer firefighter for years. That was the way I served my community, and I got to share what Jesus was doing in my life with men around me. Join a subgroup. Join a team. Serve your community. And then use the remainder of your time to actually be salt and light in your community. Have your neighbors over for dinner. Go and spend an evening getting to know people. Talk to the person sitting next to you at softball. Be that salt in light in your community. Jesus believed the most important thing was people, and that's for you too. You want to grow your faith, the most important thing is people. Who are the people you're putting in your life, in your faith? Who are the people you're reaching towards? So what does this mean for you today? If you are not part of a subgroup, this fall, right now they're, they're, they're winding down for the summer, but this fall, you need to be in one. You need to be in one. I know that you might be scared. You might be one of those people who says, oh, I'm socially awkward. I'm this. I understand that, but here's the deal. 
you not being part of a subgroup in this community is selfish. I know that sounds offensive to some of you, but it isn't. It's selfish. There are people who need your friendship. It's not all about you. I know you might be scared. I know you might be, oh, I'm this. There's somebody who is waiting for you. There's an Ethan who's waiting for you who wants to talk about their faith with you and your life, your wisdom, or what you've walked through. Or maybe it's even just the very, very beginning of faith for you, but what you're walking through is going to connect with them and your friendship is what's going to take them to the place where they really, really trust Jesus. You need to be part of a subgroup. You need to be part of a team. If you're not part of a team, go ahead and go sign up today. There are cards back at guest services that you can fill out. It basically is just an info card, and we connect with you. You try out a team. If you don't like it, try out another team. But you need to be part of a team on our weekends at Axe Church. This is where so many great friendships are are built. I'm telling you, the strongest relationships I have built is in the people I serve with. Anybody else? Yes. If you serve, those are the people who you realize they're your best friends. Join a team. Third, Serve your community. There's a perfect opportunity for it next week. A great opportunity I'll tell you more about. You need to find your high five. You need to find those key people that you're going to share your life with. And you need to realize today, I don't know if it's, if it's something that's got to change up here, if it's something that's got to change in here, but you have to change what that word church means in your mind. That you no longer think of church as a place you go to. You no longer think of church as an organization, a meeting, a building. You realize deep down in your heart, you are the church. I am the church. When you see a need and you say the church should do something about that, you feel that weird feeling in the back of your head going, that's me. I should do something about that. You are the church. X church is people, not programs. So if you're part of this church, it's all about people. Not just about a system, not just about coming and watching. It's about being part of relationships. Pray with me. Jesus, I thank you so much for the fact that you are a God of relationships, that you believe in people more than anything else, God. That you, you trust that the best investment we can make is into other people. And I ask right now, God, that you would challenge us. Maybe for some of us, we're, we're the people who just, we, we close ourselves off. God, would you challenge us and push us to step out and to, to join a group and to join a team and to, to serve in our community? Would you challenge us to really get deep down in our minds and in our hearts that we are the church? That we do not go to church. We don't belong to a church, but we are the church. And we just thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.